IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we hand out our annual year-end award, the IndieCasties. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, CM in his holiday special on Amazon Prime, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? First off, if I had a holiday special, it would be on like Tubi or like one of those one of those other kind of like low rent streaming services. Peacock, but, yeah. Get, get on, get Peacock's that too classy. I, I, you know, I want I, I want one of those channels where you that like I go to when I want to see movies like Kill a Season or something like that. But um, is uh, is Crackle still around? Well, you know what? F- watch my holiday special to find out. Crackle, because uh, that, that, that had comedians and cars getting coffee. I think that was their big yeah. franchise, and then Jerry Seinfeld took that to Netflix. So yeah. I don't know what's on Crackle now. Yeah, Kill a Season would be on there probably. And, <laughs> uh, Paid know. in full, like all all those movies. Like all, all, all the movies that I It's like, wait a minute. I didn't see that movie that this rapper I like started in, in 2002. Maybe this is where I see like the rapper movies and all those straight to video uh, Bruce Willis movies. <laughs> uh, I think I, are on crackle. Yeah, I mean that. I, I need like look, man. There's too much overlap with the streaming services already. So I like ones that are more specialized. Look, you can watch all two and a half hours of Kill a Season and then my holiday special. Make a night out of it. Make it a new Christmas tradition. Um, I think we should we say sh- what we're referring to, though, with that, right? I mean, yeah. because we're, we're, we're referencing... The, by the way, this is our last episode of, of 2021. We're taking the last two weeks of December off. And I'm reconsidering that now because <laughs> this week was so packed with yeah. news that maybe it's just going to go hog wild through the end of December. Yeah. Because we're making jokes about this announcement that LCD Sound System is doing a Christmas special on Amazon Prime. And you have a bunch of indie people, in, people in the indie community reacting against this because it doesn't seem very indie yeah. of LCD Sound System to be working with one of the biggest corporations in the world. A <laughs> uh, corporation with, uh, some would say, questionable business practices. Yeah. Also, in the past week where you hear about like the tornadoes hitting in uh, you know, the, the mid-southeast and you know, like with the way like Jeff Bezos like didn't make safeguards for people to not work during tornadoes so you know the timing's off I, I, yeah, i'll give it not that great yeah yeah not great timing for for james murphy my only thing with this is that is there anyone out there who is invested in the integrity of lcd sound system at this point i mean i know a lot of people love that band yeah no shots if you love that band but this is a band that faked a farewell concert at madison square garden and made a documentary about it i feel like that was the end of the innocence with this band if (laughs) if you were happy well you know if if, i know a lot of people were happy that they came back and uh there was that album american dream is that what is that what it's called american dream was 2017 is that one been memory hold like i do people actually still like that album i remember it was like well received i'm not you know is it their coda or is it their present or no in through the outdoor is it their in through the outdoor uh, I don't know. I, I my connection to the LCD sound system hive is pretty distant at this point. All right. Um, I mean, didn't they just do twenty shows in Brooklyn, and there was some sort of like American Express tie-in, like yeah, American Express customer, <laughs> and you got the VIP experience. 
uh, I mean, I don't know if James uh, James Murphy is not Ian McKay. You know, I don't think, and no. he's, he's under no illusions that he's Mister Indie ethics or anything at this point. So yeah. I understand people might be disappointed that they're working with Amazon, but I, this is not the band that I would feel like, oh, I'm I'm blown away that they would do something like this. I, In fact, I, I would totally expect them to do something like this. Yeah, when you think about like LCD Sound System as this like long form commentary about New York culture and uh, appropriation and, you know, gentrification. I mean, this is the logical end point. I mean, I, what, what always disappoints me about stories like these is that, um, you know, people use like a moral standpoint just to criticize something that's actually like corny. You know, it's like no one is harmed really by LCD sound system, you know, let alone LCD sound system themselves or their fans or anything like that. It's just like, yeah, this is corny. Just say so. And also, like, it, it always bugs me when, like, where was this critique of LCD sound system when they were actually making music that deserved critique in its own way? It's, you know, it's like, okay, now you can get a free shot because they're doing something corny and wrap it up. Like, it's like, it's too little too late as far as I'm concerned. Well, look, I'll say I was a fan in the aughts. Yeah, I liked those first three records. And again, I don't begrudge anyone who's excited that they came back. But I, I'm sorry, I can't get over that. You know, the, the <laughs> spectacle of that Madison Square Garden show. And they made that very ponderous documentary about it. Yeah. And where James Murphy at the end is crying while looking at uh, all the band's gear, like in their loading area or whatever. <laughs> And then they come back five years later and totally cash in on all the festivals and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't know. I, I, I just can't take it seriously anymore. Just the bloom was off the rose at this point. And again, if you love that band, that's fine. Enjoy the Amazon yeah. Christmas special or holiday special. I don't know if it's tied to any one holiday. Yeah. Uh, but there was, there was some hand-wringing this week because not only did you have the LCD sound system story, but then there's this story, which I think is – much funnier and it's oh it's so much funnier it speaks to your point about like you don't need to moralize it you can just laugh at it because it's pretty corny yeah is arcade fire doing the corporate (laughs) event for a cryptocurrency in las vegas yeah they played a concert for this cryptocurrency company first show in two years lcd wasn't like kings of leon and like steve aoki also on that show (laughs) i mean it's just like this this russian nesting doll of like corniness it's like a corporate event b it's nft c it's in las vegas and d like kings of leon are also involved and by the way like kings of leon we should really get they were like one of the first bands on this nft oh yeah like they they, had a record this year right yeah cutting edge right they had a record which i cannot remember the the name of the album wasn't Cutting Edge, right? You're saying it was a Cutting Edge movie. No, they, they were like, I think, the first band that offered, like the first major band that offered some sort of NFT tie-in with their album. Right. Yeah. and But I'm just trying to remember if that album came out this year. I'm pretty sure it did. Yes. You know, one of our <laughs> Andy Casty categories is Memory Hold album. Boy. Kings of Leon. That wasn't nominated. I think that's a snub. That should have been nominated in that category. Yeah, that, that, that's, can, can, can something be Memory Hold so deeply that like it actually... <laughs> escapes the most memory hold albums uh, that's it that you're you are the true winner of the memory hold category <laughs> if you weren't nominated because we forgot that your album came out um but 
when I saw this story, it did make me think, okay, is this going to be similar to the Everything Now uh, album cycle, like where Arcade Fire was planting these stories in the press that generated all of this negative buzz, and it was this meta thing with the content of their record, because Everything Now was this satirical look at internet culture, and now maybe they're going after NFTs. It just made me think of, you know, finite content, finite content, finitely content. You know, is that how the song? I, I don't remember how that song actually. There's a song called word. Infinite Content. Yeah, I don't remember but, it. But, just, but this I'm, would be this would be finite content. Oh, because fungible NFTs, content or something. Fungible time. Yeah, exactly. Because the whole thing with NFTs is that they're finite. That there's only one of them. Right. So this could be like an everything now type sequel. Yeah. Where they're doing this concert as a stunt, and then after this, they're gonna write like a fake stereo gum concert recap uh, of it, a, a winking at the music press a little bit. I don't know. I'm I'm just saying. I'm throwing it out there as a possibility. Yeah, I think you're Fire, giving Arcade Fire way too much credit. Well, you know, they're tricksters. <laughs> they're postmodern tricksters. So yeah, they're not you know, good at it though. Like the, what what you're assuming is that they have like a real command of sarcasm and camp, and I think everything now proved that. They are. They have absolutely no grasp of that whatsoever. But I think, like, the thing that annoys, it, like, I'm not annoyed at Arcade Fire in this. Like, oddly enough, I'm more just kind of annoyed about how, um, like, with LCD Sound System, people are trying to bring this up as like some sort of like moral conundrum. Like, how could Arcade Fire do this when you know, like just just say it's corny? Don't introduce a moral angle, and also like. Bands have been doing corporate, sh- like indie bands have been doing corporate shows for so long, like under the radar. Um, and like, I mean, this is how a lot of them like actually made ends meet. You know what I mean? Uh, did, I mean, w- did this get leaked or did they announce this? I, 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 have, I find it hard to believe that unless again, it's part of a postmodern trickster PR campaign, th- this must have just gotten leaked somehow. I don't know if it just... got – I mean, it existed. I don't know if they were trying to hide it. Maybe they were just like, look, this is going to happen, but we're just going to, like, get through it. And, I mean, it, I, I really hope that someday there's just more of – not an expose because I want to do a gotcha moment. But, like, I think that corporate shows like this one – are have been the lifeblood for a lot of indie bands and you know it's just like okay like it's the same way that sometimes when you're a writer you do a bio for a band on a major label because like well my name's not going to be on it and the money's good so this is something that's going to help me pay rent i mean look i remember like like beyonce did like a two million dollar gig for like uh momar gaddafi's son so i mean they're they're which is probably worse yeah 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 (laughs) If if you're uh, you know performing for Gaddafi's son, that's probably uh, worse than this. I don't know. Maybe Gaddafi's son's actually like cool and shit. You know, maybe he's like trying to he's trying to break <laughs> from the family tradition. Yeah. of uh, dictatorship. Oh, um, my I question mean, with the arcade fire, like the, the arcade fire show, though, like I, I this is like the most indie cast question imaginable, but like of course, like I think the fact that like Succession had its whole season made us you know get off our billions kick, but is Arcade Fire's like very real NFT concert worse than the whole steady playing a fake Axe Capital private event? 
Well, yeah, because it's real. <laughs> but is I mean, it you, like they got paid like real I, money though? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure the whole SETI made money. Yeah, from being on, not as on much. Billions. I think uh, you know, there's a. I mean, we're through the looking glass here a little <laughs> bit with the whole steady on billions because it's like, is the idea that Bobby Axelrod likes this band is that a comment on Bobby Axelrod or because I know Brian Koppelman, <laughs> yeah, who's a friend of the podcast. I know he's a fan of the whole steady, so I think he just like wanted to get them into the show. True, but you know, I also think of like the Sopranos and the fact that like Tony Soprano loves Journey. It's kind of a comment on like what like what kind of guy he is. Like a guy like that would like Journey. It's not necessarily an endorsement of Journey. It's more like this is part of his character. It's yeah. something that a, a middle-aged guy in New Jersey would like. But also um, playing like a hedge fund. Like like I mean NFT you could make the argument that it's at least somewhat like futuristic. Uh playing a private event for a hedge fund. Yeah, I don't know. So, like, are we saying then that in the billions universe that the Hold Steady's ethics are compromised? I think so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, the, the, like what what is a more indie cast question than you know debate vis a vis the Arcade Fire doing a NFT concert assessing whether in the fictional universe of billions the Hold Steady would face uh, the firing squad on Twitter for playing a hedge fund private event. I think it's just to me the Arcade Fire story. It's funny because it's Arcade Fire, you know. Absolutely, it's funny because it's that band, you yeah. know. Because Kings of Leon doing that isn't as funny. No, as Arcade Fire doing. No, that's like that's like part of the job description to be the Kings of Leon and doing something like like the NFT concert in Las Vegas. Right, exactly. Well, my- and, you, and you kind of feel like you know Godspeed because yeah. You know that they're at that point in their career, like where they should be doing things like that. Absolutely, they, 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 I'm sure they made a ton of money doing that. I mean, it's similar to another big music story <laughs> this week, where uh, a veteran indie rocker is acting very much in character. You have Jack White; he's going to be doing a tour. I think it's called the Supply Chains. Yeah, Supply the Chain supl- Issues Tour. Yeah, great name. By funny. the way, it's a great tour name. By the yeah. way, Jack White is he's I'm funny. Gonna ja- I'm going to defend Jack White. I think Jack White gets too much flack at this point i think he's funnier than people give him credit for and that tour name is part of it but he has this policy it appears on his upcoming tour where and he's playing big rooms he's playing like arenas okay where he's going to be taking people's phones away and putting them in these little Uh. sacks and you can (laughs) apparently get your phone back if you go to a designated area but he doesn't want people to have phones and i just want to say like i've seen jack white in the past few years and i went to a show it was a much smaller show okay where he did this Hmm. and um i didn't think it was that big of a deal i mean it was kind of weird because i'm i'm like everyone i'm a phone addict i'm constantly reaching for my phone and it wasn't there and there were a few times where I panicked because I thought I lost it, and then I remembered that it was in a bag somewhere. Um, my only comment on this, though, is that of all the annoying things that people do at concerts, looking at a phone, to me, does not even make the top ten. Yeah. You know, is this really that big of a problem? Like, I, I tweeted about this. I wish they would put people who talk throughout the entire concert in a bag <laughs> and put them off to the side. Like, th- that's that's something that should be banned. Yeah. People who talk all the damn time. Or the people that, if the performer's trying to tell a story between songs, like the people who just, like, whistle oh constantly. Oh, God. Put them in a bag. Yeah. <laughs> you know, off to the side. The phones, to me, it's just not that big of a deal. But I also don't think, I mean, I know there were people online acting like this was some sort of, 
you know, great intrusion on Jack White's part, or they're not going to go to the tour now because they're taking the phone away. I, again, this happened to me. I don't think it's a big deal to take a phone away. Yeah. But I also don't think phones are that much of a scourge that this is rectified. <laughs> Did you say scourge? <laughs> it kind of came out wrong. It came out wrong. Uh, We're not editing a- that in post-production, by the way. No, we got to leave it in there. Because yeah. I feel like this is a bit now on, on the show where I mispronounce words, and I think people enjoy it. Um, but I don't, I mean, are you annoyed by phones at shows? I guess I, I maybe it's a generational thing. I'm just not – I don't even notice it anymore. People on their phones is like the least of my concerns. I could totally understand if the band itself, you know, feels like it, it diminishes the show somehow. But, yeah, the people who talk, the people who – you know, whistle or like the people who like talk, try to talk to the band while they're playing. Um, you know, like I, I, this all comes out as me saying like, oh yeah, I love live concerts except for the people who go to the shows. But yeah. <laughs> it's I, the truth though. Yeah, it truth. really is. Um, but you know what? Like I, I think like with the Arcade Fire, like with uh, LCD Sound System, this one in particular stands out to me is like, why don't we ask the people who might actually go to a Jack White show what they think about it, you know? I think most of the people who are moralizing about this right now is it being, it's like, are you really, like, a Jack White solo show in 2021? Like, are you really the audience here? I can, like, I I, I think this is a situation where I really actually do want to hear both sides. Like, I want to see the Washington Times or Slate article from some... Bob Lefsetz type character where they talk about how this is like the revolution. This is the revolution that needs to happen within live music. Not, not any of this live streaming or TikTok, but taking away phones. And we're all going to sit by a campfire in the middle <laughs> of uh, Madison square garden and listen to Jack White tell his tales. I mean, my sense is that people who would most likely go see Jack White are either indifferent or they're in favor of this. That's, or they're just looking at their phones because of like you know they got to check on the babysitter or something. Yeah, but I don't know. To <laughs> me, you know, like when you look at social media and people reacting to this, I think people who are on Twitter all the time are probably more likely to have anxiety about not having their phone. You yeah. know, because there are because these are probably the worst phone addicts that there are, and I'm putting myself into that camp. Okay, because I'm on Twitter all the time. Yes, I know I'm a phone addict, and I just feel like. You're going to see a disproportionate amount of people who don't like a policy like this on social media because those are the people who are most neurotic and obsessive about their phones. Whereas maybe normal people, again, would be indifferent to it or would lean toward being in favor of it. Uh, So I don't know. Again, it's not that big of a deal. But again, I'm having second thoughts about not doing shows at the end of December because if we have this much gold... Yeah. In mid-December, I, I just worry about the gold we're going to be missing after uh-huh. this episode during our break. But, you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah. Also, we got to mention, like, why we're recording on a Wednesday. Like, why we're recording on a Wednesday as opposed to our usual day. I think we just need to let our listeners know about the policy going forward, which is that at least until February, we are always going to record the day after Big Thief uh, puts out a new press photo. <laughs> Did that? Well, I don't know if it's been put out yet. Uh, no, it's out there. Like the entire, 
I, I had my first viral tweet in a long time just by pointing out that like big, th- <laughs> I mean, like people were like, people say like, oh yeah, they, they got that Rugrats drip right there or, uh, it, yeah, that, uh, they look very hippie-ish in that photo. Yeah, they look it, more hippie-ish it, than like fish. Like if you look at a fish band yeah. photo or like any jam band, <laughs> they don't look nearly as hippie-ish as Big Thief. They're yeah, really the, the utility vest without an undershirt. I mean, like these... These guys are just like all four of them are pulling just the ultimate heat check with this outfit. I love it. I yeah, I love it too. I mean, and I'm gonna. This is a warning for our listeners heading into 2022. I'm gonna be beating the Big Thief drum pretty hard leading up to their record. I think it comes out in February. February, yeah. Uh, just a word of warning. <laughs> I'm gonna be doing some serious standing on this show for Big Thief up ahead. So hopefully. We have a strong Big Thief constituency out there. I think we do. I'm pretty sure we do, yeah. I'm pretty sure we do. Well, okay, let's get to our <laughs> the meat of our episode. We had a long banter segment, but we have... This isn't banter. That's This is like... This is like not this. It's not the meat of the episode, but these are like substantial appetizers. They are. This. I mean, this is this is an action-packed episode. Like we're leaving you with a heater here. We're not going to be around for the next two weeks, but hopefully this will keep you all uh you know feeling uh you know sustained while we're gone let's get to the indie casties here now for people who aren't familiar with the indie casties every year ian and i like to give away awards to uh people in the indie community and not just like the usual awards like best song best album but we have very specialized categories and because uh, we'd like to honor the people who not only make great music, but create great content for us to talk about yes. on this show. So I, I, I feel like that's who we end up honoring the most, the content makers, the, the discourse drivers. Uh, <laughs> the real heroes. Any, the real heroes. The real heroes. You know? Yes. Is there anything you want to say ahead before we start handing out awards, Ian? Nah, I mean, uh, th- th- this one's interesting because, you know, last year when we did the IndieCast, these you know, IndieCast had only been around for like half the year. Now we just have so much more discourse to pull from. So yeah, yeah we're, we are, we are not skimping on this one. This is, this is a year end extravaganza. It just might, it might be like the Emmys where we're four hours in and they just got to play our music off. I mean, like last year too, we had a happy year and it was also the, you know, the pandemic. So there were no tours. A lot of albums weren't being released. I yeah. mean, we were really scrounging in 2020 at times for things to talk about. For the most part, not a problem with that this year. No. Lots of things to talk about, as we'll see as we get into our awards. So our first category is, why isn't this on your list? <laughs> the award for the consensus album that we think is truly overrated. Yeah. So, you know, yes, because we, we all look at lists, we all see the albums that are acclaimed, and we've put out our own list, and sometimes people say to us, hey, why isn't album X that seems to be on everyone else's list, why isn't it on your list? And it's because we think it's maybe a little overrated. So these are the albums that we've nominated in this category. The nominees are The Weather Station, Olivia Rodrigo, yeah. Cassandra Jenkins, Ooh. and here's where it starts to get a little spicy. <laughs> Japanese Breakfast, yeah. Snail Mail, and Turnstile. I mean, look, A shocking nominee. Yeah, look, they, they weren't in our top five. Um, so, they, you know, and we're pretty much rock guys, and... Like on most publications lists, Turnstile like ranked higher than it did in our individual list. So I think it's just like more... it was really like the only rock record. Yeah, it is the only rock record that exists in 2021. Like I, 
fuck it. What a fucking world we live in when like turnstile is like cra- is like number one on like spin, you know. Well, and and we both love oh love Mulan, turnstile, but the I, turnstile record. So we're just saying that like it might be overrated by definition. <laughs> yes, exactly. Is in terms of its uh, the scale of the praise that it's gotten in proximity to other records that we would talk about on this show that we think would be worthwhile. Yeah. Only in that sense, but I, we we both really love that record. Japanese Breakfast and Snail Mail are two. I think I don't know if those are your winners, but those mm. are more your because I like both of those records. I Japanese like them Breakfast. Too. Japanese Breakfast was in my top ten, uh, so I like that record a lot. Um, and you don't know this because this hasn't been published at the time that we're recording, but it will be published by the time we post, which is that the Uprocks Critics Poll yeah. published on Thursday, the number one record. Japanese Breakfast Jubilee, top the poll. Yeah. So maybe that gives it more ammunition for being an overrated record. Yeah. It it seems to me that that's an album that a lot of people like a lot, but it's not necessarily a lot of people's like number one record. And I I feel like that got to number one because of a plurality of making mm. top tens, not necessarily because it was the most passionate choice for people. Mm. Because that's where it would be for me. Yeah. It's a record I like a lot, but it's not like my favorite record. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I think that was like a nomination for me. Uh, like Snail Mail, uh, I like that record. I also think that it kind of, it, it, it's, the, I can say that like my being a little bit cool on it is due to very boring reasons. Like it kind of falls off in the second half. You know, there's nothing like philosophical about it. I just think, oh, it's, it's very top heavy, but, um, uh, and also I would say like some of the more genre specific albums I think are overrated. Like it, you know, like I shouldn't, like, I'm not an expert on ambient jazz or R and B, but you know, when I see albums like floating points or Jasmine Sullivan, like that high, I feel like they should, you know, win over people who aren't necessarily experts in that realm. Uh, you know, like the way like SZA or Solange's album did. I, I just listened to the Jasmine Sullivan album. Like, okay, this is pretty good. Reminds me of like, you know, a couple, you know, thematically of like the Missy Elliott songs, like, you know, All In My Grill or so forth. And just an odd choice as like a consensus for me. But like, as far as like indie stuff, Japanese Breakfast, I think it's indicative of like people really wanting to see, like I have, I think it's a good album. Uh, I generally root for Michelle, you know, to win in this industry, which she's clearly having a fucking phenomenal year. Um, And, you know, perhaps if I were, I get the feeling if I were like 10 years younger, I would be super, super into this album. But when I think about it in the context of, and I know this is somewhat reductive to compare it to say like, you know, Phoebe Bridgers or Snail Mail or you know, Mitski album, you know, like, look, they have much more in common stylistically than they do differences. I never get the real wow moments from Jubilee that I do from those artists or really even like previous Japanese breakfast albums. Um, I think it's just this, it, it, it doesn't quite work as pop for me. I'm going to like put out a real hot take and say like, be sweet is probably my least favorite song on that album. It makes me think of like, going to clothing stores or like being stuck in an ace hotel or something like that. It just, it reminds me like, I know Jack Tatum from wild nothing co-wrote that song. And it reminds me of the wild nothing albums where he tried to go kind of pop. And it's like, yeah, 
your voice doesn't really work for this. So um, I don't see time vindicating me on this album, but I think that I, and I don't think that people are dishonest about liking Japanese breakfast as much as they do. It just seemed like a kind of a foregone conclusion that a 2021 Japanese breakfast album was going to top the polls no matter what. It's interesting, though, to me, because I feel like when the album came out, the reviews were positive, but they weren't over the moon. I don't you know. know about, I like, feel like they were like super duper positive. I mean, but like it didn't get a best new music from Pitchfork, although yeah. it ended up, I think, at number 14 on their list. I saw that coming from and a mile away. I don't know. I, I'm a little surprised by how it has ended up on these lists. And again, I, I attribute it to it being a record that a lot of people like quite a bit in a year where there's no real like dominant record. Yeah. You know, like there's no like obvious slam dunk uh, album of the year. So an album like that, that a lot of people like that the plurality of the likes elevates it. And that, yeah. that's my theory on that record. I, um, it, at least according to Metacritic, it's got the same score as Tyler, the creator, Lil Sims, Adele. So, I mean, it really? got, God, yeah, that's really surprising. To yeah. Me. It, it okay, was well, very well reviewed. So for me, uh, this category comes down to two albums. Uh, it would be Olivia Rodrigo or The Weather Station for Ooh, me. Yeah. And uh, the Rodrigo record, there are moments on it that I like quite a bit. I tend to really gravitate to the bubblegum pop punk songs on that right. record, uh, the more Paramore type songs. And I, it, it's my hope for her as she moves forward that she leans more in that direction because mm. – the other part of the record are songs in the in the vein of her huge hit Driver's License, where it's a lot of melodramatic ballads mm. about you know breaking up with your uh, high school love. And I don't know; those songs just don't really work for me as well. And I realize I'm saying that as a 44 year old man, <laughs> uh, and it's not pitched at me, but still, uh, yeah. I mean, this was like the number one record picked by Rolling Stone. Yeah. So, which by the way, Rolling Stone. They've really revamped their style. They used to always be the magazine that would you could count on for, you know, to put U2 and Bruce Springsteen and Bob Dylan in their top mm-hmm. five. And, like, they've totally gone in the opposite direction with this with their list this year. Like, the War on Drugs, for instance, which I would feel like would be a band that would appeal to the classic Rolling Stone reader. Yeah. Like, that didn't even make their top 50. Wow. Uh, it's a very pop list, which I think is an interesting pivot for them. Uh, so, anyway, like... The Rodrigo record, I kind of like it, but I feel like it's an interesting debut that I think her next record, I'm curious to hear. And I'm hoping that she goes more in that Paramore pop punk direction. I think that could be really great. Uh, The other record, uh, in more of like the indie sphere, would be the Weather Station record. And this is a record that, you know, I appreciate its thoughtfulness. I think it's very well made, but it reminds me of like a movie that like Eddie Redmayne would be in <laughs> called like The Elephant in the Balloon. And it's it nominated for like eight Oscars. Yeah. And the critics really like it. And people say, what a classy film. And then they never talk about it again right. after awards season. Like it has that quality to prestige, me of a record. Prestige. It's a prestige indie. record. It feels very self serious to me. Um, and it just feels a little dry, you know? And I, and I, and look, I'm willing to concede that maybe the problem is me because there's a lot of smart people who put this on the year-end list who probably have better taste than I do and maybe I'm just missing it. But I don't know. To me, that's how this record hits and it, it just kind of kept me from appreciating it. Uh, so 
I'm just curious to see what, how people feel about that album in five years. You know, maybe I'm wrong, uh, but I don't know. That's just how it feels. Yeah. To me. That would be my prediction for that record. I'm thinking maybe it's got like some kind of like a who kill type future <laughs> where it's like, oh, really? That one? Because she like, has like a pretty long career. Yeah, I mean, she does. Well, so did so, so did you know, yards, guess, and but. I think she's got a lot of goodwill. It seemed like the kind of record where there were fans of hers who enjoyed her body of work. Maybe it's somewhere the Japanese breakfast thing that you were talking about where people just felt lifetime like, achievement award. I like this artist a lot. This feel in this record, you know, it's a climate change record. It feels like a statement type album. Mm. And maybe people just felt like I want to get behind this artist. Cause I, I like her catalog and she's maybe feels a little unsung, yeah. uh, which I respect, but yeah, just for me, I, I, I didn't really connect with it. Yeah. Um, let's get to our next category. Yes. Do you want to introduce this one? Yeah. Um, this is the, Hey, I actually like that album, uh, award. It's, um, it's one for an artist that you end up kind of liking throughout the year. Cause I know that there's always the temptation to release the hot take, uh, immediately. And then you got to backpedal on Twitter or what have you and think, you know what, now that I've actually withstood the initial, uh, narrative, I actually kind of like this. So, um, I know for me, this happens, uh, with both legacy artists and new artists. Uh, did you have any of those like that this year? Yeah, I did. Um, I mean, I think in terms of like the 2021 artist, yeah. uh, the obvious answer for me was dry cleaning. Mm. Uh, cause I remember when new long leg came out and the reviews were published and people were very excited about it. I was a little resistant to it. You know, we've talked about this on the show about, you know, British post-punk bands getting overhyped out of the gate. And I think I felt that way a little bit with dry cleaning. And also, you know, Florence Shaw, the lead singer, uh, I think her vocal style is a bit of an acquired taste. Uh, so it was just something I resisted for a while, but the record just wore me down over the year and I, I really came to like it and it ended up being a top 10 record for me. Uh, just because I think also musically there's just more going on than I think I originally gave it credit for. I think like the car, the guitar riffs are consistently, you know, muscular and exciting and just the contrast between the music and her voice. I just re- really got into it. I also have to say too, in terms of like the legacy thing that you mentioned, I think that's a great point. And I feel obligated to say this on the show because going back to Big Thief, I feel like I've talked about the previous two Big Thief records, the ones that came out in 2019, UFOF and Two Hands, as being a little underwhelming. And I have to say that in light of listening to the new record, which I've been listening to a, a bunch, which has sent me back to listening to the, you know, the Big Thief catalog... I'm on board with those 2019 records now. I actually think that they're yeah, really the, good. Those, ver- those seriously undervalued and underappreciated. Well, look, we're talking <laughs> about ourselves. I know. We're talking about, like, and I again, I feel obligated to say this on the show because I think I've said a couple of times on here that I wasn't that into those albums. And I'm now into the full catalog. You know, I'm not just the first two albums truther anymore. I like the whole catalog. So now it really is a question of like the five albums test type thing. Are they going to go five for five with this next record? And so that's going to be an interesting conversation to have as we get into the next year. But like, what, what, like, what was it for you? Like what are the things that could run you this year? I mean, uh, this is really going out of character by, uh, saying that like this year, I really did try to do a deep dive on Sonic youth. Um, they're a band who's informed basically all of the indie rock that I actually like, but their extreme 
New Yorkness has really just been off-putting for me all these years. And so I actually listened to their earlier stuff, like, you know, leading up through, say, Goo, uh, before they got into the whole, like, you know, Thurston Moore Guitar Orchestra, like, Spoken Word, NYC Ghost and Flower stuff. Yeah, you know, not totally on board, but I I could say I like Sonic Youth. I also could say it's still more fun to make fun of them. I am not going to get rid of that, but... As far as like the contemporary bands go or artists, um, I think Tyler, the creator in the past has just been a real generational divide type thing for me uh, in the same way that I imagine people maybe 10 years older than myself, maybe never gotten to Wu-Tang. But with, with rappers, I think if they stick around long enough, uh, I tend to gravitate towards them because they're kind of like a life preserver uh in the realm of hip-hop where it's like i i just don't get this new shit like i need something that lets me feel that i'm like keeping up with the narrative and you know the new record had dj drama on it which you know i loved all the uh mixtapes that came out in the mid-2000s and uh he was actually you know really rapping again as opposed to like the kind of neptunesy uh or nerd type r&b pop that he did with uh flower boy and um Igor, which I thought were very overrated. Um, I'm never going to put his stuff at like number one on my year end list, but it also, the, this, the new record that he put out gave me the inclination to maybe revisit the past couple and see if I hadn't, uh, been overly harsh about them. I mean, it's Tyler creators, like definitely a generational artist. I think one that really puts the dividing line between, you know, a new, realm of uh music writers and the old realm and yeah i i I straight up enjoyed this one a lot more than i thought i would i mean talk about a fascinating evolution over the past 10 years yeah seriously goblin in 2011 to you know to this year uh a pretty incredible and fascinating arc for uh tower the creator for sure um our next category is a big one (laughs) <laughs> uh, this is a big category for us. Most annoying music story. Ugh. The nominees are Phoebe Bridgers smashes her guitar on SNL. That was this. There's no way that was this year. That was this year, baby. Uh, Lana Del Rey defends the January 6th Riders. The Daddy's Home album cycle. Oh yeah, classic. The Ken adults like Olivia Rodrigo debate. <laughs> Both sides of that debate. And the Foxing Pitchfork review. Yeah. A lot of heavy hitters yeah, really, in this man. category. I have a feeling I know where you're going to go Yeah, uh, on this. Like, like, Who is the winner for you? Well, I mean, I would say, obviously, is Ice Age getting a deep six from a lot of year-end lists. But no, I'm... Oh, uh, yeah, no, I'm What kind of year-end would this be if we didn't, like, have a nice Age gag? Man, I'm just, like, annoyed. Like, I, even just bringing up these stories again just feels fills me with, like... Like most is like choking on my own rage here, but um, oh god, um, but I gotta say for me it was the Foxing uh Pitchfork review and annoying because I couldn't really talk about it <laughs> for while it was actually happening because I was torn between okay, well this is a band that is uh you know for many reasons associated pretty closely with me uh and likewise you know on the other side it's like you know one of my employers um but you know it's not so much that it i i think that someone mentioned that like hey 
this is like just desserts. This is like an old school Ian Cohen style review for an Ian Cohen band. Ha ha ha. How does it feel? Um, I thought we had kind of gotten past that sort of stuff. But what annoyed me, I mean, if you can even get past the fact that it was like a very odd sort of punching down that you don't see a lot of, you know, it's people would ask like, how did this become a bigger controversy than like the Deaf Heaven record or the Lord record or Kanye, like all these, like all these lightning rods, which were released like in a very close proximity to this one. And it, I mean, it, it just to me just really struck me as like a real punching down in a way that, um, it, it, I, I just, unlike those, you just had to wonder if the person writing that review actually heard the album or like listened to the band, you know, cause it, it reminded me of all those ones that I did back in 2011. I mean, I've reviewed more Foles albums than Foxing albums. They don't sound like Foles at all. But So you're more annoyed about the review than like people overreacting to it? I'm rev- I'm annoyed about the review. I can live with it, but it's the reaction to it, how it became a huge story, um, you know, about people like, you know, non-musicians asking like, can, you know, should like, is it uncouth for Foxing to be as disappointed as they were about it? And, it, you know, as someone who's like, received criticism for their writing it's like they should absolutely look i don't think their manager should say like music writing as it should never exist i think they kind of did an unforced <laughs> error right there. i'll i'll disagree with joseph marrow right there with that but you know what annoyed me although mo- the band themselves reacted great to it i mean yeah I think the band themselves were like hey you know that's fine we're glad that they wrote about it yeah you know the manager i think off you the know, grid yeah he, yeah he went rogue i think with that in a way that he that he shouldn't have because i think he hurt his, yeah you know, the band that he represents but uh it, something i wanted to bring up with you and we've talked about this before uh-huh but like one aspect of this foxing story is that i do feel like again that there's this chip on the shoulder that people in the punk emo community have about Pitchfork specifically, but about music coverage in general, yeah. about like their bands not getting enough respect. And I, and I, and I've seen this again with turnstile on year end list, people saying like, well, this is the token hardcore band yeah. on all the lists. Why aren't there more hardcore bands? It's like, do you know how many genres don't get any albums <laughs> on year end lists? You know, I mean, give me a break. It's like, if you're in an underground scene, why do you care about mainstream publication yeah. lists? It just seems to me to be, uh, it's like an excuse to feel like, oh, nobody respects us. Nobody gives us enough credit. It's like, but who cares? Like, why is this something that matters so much? I would say for them, it does matter because, you know, I interviewed them. It's like, they all grew up reading it. And, you know, I think for a band like Foxing, it really is like a key to getting to a different level. Um, but also it, my, what annoys me now is that this is going, it like just, it just haunts a very, very good album. Like people are like, well, you know what? Any publicity is good publicity. This is, it would actually be better than if it like, you know, it's got a seven and no one talked about it. It's like, that's not true. Like they, you know, they've gone off Twitter for the most part. They don't seem to be having as much fun online. Uh, Now, mind you, they're going back on tour with Manchester Orchestra, which is, you know, another band, which has experienced the slings and arrows of the critical community. It just, but they don't care though. Yeah, like they don't. Well, they, they they're too they're they're big enough where they don't have to care. But I mean, but like I've talked to him, like they honestly, I think they have a great attitude about yeah. it, which I think is the right attitude. That you know, we, we our success does not depend ultimately 
on a Pitchfork review. Because yeah. even I mean, let's say Pitchfork gave that record a, an eight point one. You know, would it have gotten as much attention as like the review that they got? I mean, I know there's no way that that would have happened, and I and I and I, and I wouldn't have made their career. I don't think that much better. Unless Pitchfork decided to make them like a, like one of their pet acts, you know, that would be maybe the only way. But if it was just like a nice review, I, I don't think it would have made that big of a difference. I, I think that it just kind of like it's got it, it put a stink on the record that isn't going to go away. Maybe not, but but for people who really care about foxing, I don't think they'll it'll matter. Yeah, I, I don't know. We'll I, I, see. I'm Hopefully just not. I'm just an. Uh, I'm I, I, I'm just annoyed at the fact that like the one punching down that happened uh, was for that. There were much more deserving pe- There were much more deserving people. Well, uh, my most annoying music story, and this was hard to choose. I actually just changed my choice. Oh, because I feel like we so we had to talk about this because it was one of the most talked about annoying music stories of the year. So. I got to give the the nod to Phoebe Bridgers smashing her guitar on SNL. And I chose this one because I think it's a great example. And we're going to shout out Kill a Cow again. Twitter user Kill a Cow. Yes. Uh, listener of the show. His Steph Curry tweet. You know, <laughs> the idea of inventing someone to get mad at on Twitter. Yeah. And... That's basically what this was, and I'm and I'm implicating myself in this because I think I tweeted about this, along with many other people. But you know, you, it was basically an instance of like a few random people complaining that Phoebe Bridger smashed her guitar. Brooklyn Dad <laughs> Defiant, I think, was. I the guess main. he's like, he, it, well, he has like a big following, I guess, he but he's also a total like resistance Tweeter, zombie yeah. moron. <laughs> you know, we don't need to worry about him, but. It's like one tweet. I think David Crosby didn't like it either. Which oh. is so Brooklyn Dad defined and David Crosby. But it just yeah. becomes this thing where people feel the need to put the cape on for Phoebe Bridgers to defend her right to smash a guitar on SNL just because a couple people tweeted something. Uh, and and that drives so much of the discourse now. And a lot of times it's people who don't even have a platform like a, or a platform much smaller than... Brooklyn Dad Defiant and David Crosby, just some rando who will tweet something and then a million people will quote tweet it. Yeah. And they'll defend the right of Phoebe Bridgers to smash a guitar when th- there's no threat to her. She's not really being criticized in any kind of no. real way. Uh, and it, it's just like this phony, trumped up conversation that happens. And it just happens like every single day. In social media, and this was, I think, one of the most egregious examples of that. I I have so much trouble even getting up the energy to, like, relitigate this one, which I guess proves that it is indeed the most annoying story of 2021, because I could definitely, like, gin up some anger about the people who, like, invented the Olivia Rodrigo haters or uh, the people who, you know, or, like, it's just with the guitar smashing, it's... Yeah, remember like all the Olivia Rodrigo reviews that were like oh, she made a great album, deal with it. Yeah, or, oh you know, my she's God. she's the new rock star and you can't handle it. Yeah. Like there was all these people, all these like, you know, rockist monsters out there just yeah. waiting to discredit Olivia Rodrigo when in fact 
She has a tremendous amount of not just industry support, but critical support. Yeah. I mean, that record was very well received. Yeah, and But it was just like the be. defiance of the headlines on so many of those reviews. It was just like... Don't kick us rock people when we're down. You know what I mean? Like, let... Like, let... It, it, I, I honestly just can't... I cannot wait to... I, I really wonder if her next album is going to be like one of those like Lord or Claro or... Billie Eilish type things where it's like a retreat from fame. And uh, I really wonder if that's the, if that's the way that's going to happen. I hope not. Again, like I said, I'd like her to make a dookie, like make your dookie, (laughs) just like a broad appeal pop punk record. I think that would be amazing. Don't make the depressed record about anxiety where everything sounds really quiet Mm. and everything's a ballad, like Mm. make a big shiny rock record. I would be First in line for an album like that. We shall see. We shall see if like pop punkin is still like the dominant mode of music in 2023. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to our next category. Yeah. Uh, do you want to do this? Do you want to read the, these nominees? Absolutely. So this is the most memory hold album of 2021. Uh, yes. We were talking about it before, although like honorable mention for Kings of Leon, but um, oh yeah. Which so, we forgot to put in this category. We forgot to. It was so memory hold that we forgot <laughs> it actually existed. So we're gonna uh, nominate Lana Del Rey specifically, Blue Bannisters, uh, Casey Musgraves. I want to say Casey Musgraves because I get her wrong and say Casey Chambers multiple episodes. <laughs> uh, Drake's Certified Lover Boy, as opposed to Scary Hours Two, which did come out earlier this year, which I think was just as equally good as a nominee. Uh, and we just threw in at the end Ice Age, Lord, Weezer, both albums, Foo Fighters, Greta Van Fleet, I think is a dark horse. And also, like, I know that people were talking about, like, the Ska revival. Was that memory hold by the year end list? Well, what were the big Ska albums that would have there, been in the there, there, there were, I mean, it was a cool story. I was happy to see it, but it's like, yeah, like, getting an article on Brooklyn Vegan isn't like the equivalent of the impression that I get being on the radio every five minutes. So, well, it's like, uh, Rosenstock's Jeff. Yeah. Scott Scott dream, right. Did that come out this year? That yes. Came it, out last oh, year. It, it's no, no dream was last year. Scott dream was this year. Okay. So that would have been the album to do, but that's sort of connected yeah. to his previous records on a full fledged yeah. standalone record. Maybe that is what affected it. I mean, I mean, Jeff Rosenstock could do, a you know original sky record that could get that kind of shine yeah maybe we shall see we shall see um so my choice for this is blue banisters the lana del rey record uh she put out two albums this year the first one was chemtrails over the country club i i saw that on a bunch of year-end lists i think john caramanica put that on his list in the new york times so that's a pretty big one um Blue Bannisters, to the, though, to me, that record, I think it came out in November, yeah. October, November, and it, it it really just seemed to come and go. And it, one thing I'm factoring in with Lana Del Rey is just the overwhelming acclaim that her previous album, previous to Chemtrails, Norman fucking Rockwell, which came out in 2019, just measuring that acclaim versus what I thought was much more muted, certainly for chemtrails and, and for blue banisters, I thought was kind of non-existent. Yeah. I mean, with Norman fucking Rockwell, people were literally calling her like one of the greatest songwriters of all time. Mm. I mean, the, the pitchfork review of that is likening her to almost like every single 
notable rock right. songwriter. Like Joni Mitchell <laughs> and so forth. But Bob Joni Mitchell. So to me, that's the answer uh-huh. uh, to this. Just because, again, it's one thing to say, like, well, people don't remember the Foo Fighters record. Well, of course, you know, they're at a time in their career where they're more of a touring act. Yeah. I don't think that there's an ex. Although that album, I did see it come up on some year-end list. I think there's, like, a sneaky argument that that's, like, their best album in a decade. Craig Jenkins put it on his list for Vulture. I mean, it probably Um, is their best album in a decade. (laughs) I don't think so. I I mean, I'm saying that as someone who could not give less of a shit um, about the (laughs) – A new Foo Fighters album. Like, if you tell me it's their best album in in a decade, A, it's probably true, and B, like, that's a pretty low bar to clear. Yeah, that's true. Well, what's your choice for most memory hold album? (sighs) All right, so, I mean, I I think the the inclusion of Drake is instructive because it feels like, I mean, oh, like, no one's really, like, talking about it. Like, that that album, Drake albums never, ever, ever go away. Like, you know, Way Too Sexy got nominated for a Grammy uh, it still is on year end lists uh, for magazines where that also like do articles about like shoes. Um, so I don't think that's it. And also Casey Musgraves, I think people kind of came around on that one. For me, the answer if if we're talking about straight up indie rock, I think we got to mention Dark Side, uh, the Nico Jar and Dave Harrington project. Like that album was like one of 2013's like big big releases and. That just kind of came and went with, uh, without much uh, attention being given to it. Like, I got no blowback for that review. Um, but the answer here has got to be Lord, uh, Solar mm. Power. Um, because I think with every artist that we had mentioned, whether it's Lana Del Rey, whether it's uh, Casey Musgraves, whether it's, you know, Billie Eilish, uh, big-time artists who made more muted albums, all of them have people caping for them in some capacity, but solar power, I think that one just really fell off the grid. Um, I, I, in a way, I mean, I think it is in a position to be rediscovered in future years, particularly depending on like whether Lord makes another quickie album after this to kind of get the momentum back or just like never makes another album, which is also maybe even possible. But yeah, I think that one, like, I, I didn't see people even make a, an, an attempt to call that one underrated on year-end list. You know, this is an album that you snuck in at the end of our nominees. And it, you know, to your point, it's an album I forgot about. Yeah. It's an album I probably should have put in the... Because in, I thought of El, like Lana Del Rey right away. I thought of Casey Musgraves right away. But I didn't think about the Lord record. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, does the Claro record also fit in here? I mean, like, because nah. I, I like that record when it came out, but it it doesn't seem to have hit in the same way that her like previous record. I think it, I think did. it, I think it does. I think that there, it, it does have a fan base. I think it's a lot more muted. I think that uh, it maybe snuck into a few year end lists here and there, but I don't see it having the same impact on Claro's like career as Solar Power did with Lord. She's just right. kind of operating on a much different level as far as popularity. I think that she, yeah, I, I, like, I'm not as, like, I, I don't see, I see Sling as kind of a left turn as opposed to a, the flop era, the same way Solar Power did. Like, Solar Power's, reje- the rejection of that album just seemed very, um, the rejection of that album just seemed like very much like, wait a minute, this, like, this isn't like a disappointment. This is actually, this is actively bad. Yeah, and it's interesting with with Lord because obviously she came out 
in 2013, that, that record Pure Heroin and the song Royals, which was a huge hit. Yeah. And then Melodrama comes out, and that's a big critical Phenomenal, hit. And it obviously yeah, has a lot of people who love it. Hit. But it wasn't a huge commercial hit. No. I mean, it wasn't, it didn't have a song like Royals that, you know, that put her, uh, you know, at the top of radio airplay. You sort know, of like the When she... the Pawn for Fiona Apple in the same sense that nothing was as big as like criminal or shadow boxing, but, you know, nonetheless. But then it's like, instead of making Extraordinary Machine, yeah. Fiona Apple makes a record like Solar Power. Yeah. You know, like, it. you know what I mean? It's like, I think Fiona Apple, she reinvented herself as someone who didn't need to make yeah. uh, hit singles because she just made these really ambitious records that, you know, people love. It's interesting to me, just like you know, as you were saying, like how this is going to affect Lord. I, I, it, it's hard for me to figure out how popular she is right now. Yeah, you know, I don't know. It, it, I mean, this this could be a record that does dramatically downscale the amount of hype her fourth record. <laughs> like, gets. is Lord going to be in the arcade fire, like playing a half-empty MSG type part of their career? I don't know. I think she could sell out MSG. Yeah. But like, can she sell out an arena in Chicago or Kansas City? Yeah, you know? I, I, that's something we I would question. Um, all right, so we're at our final category of the night. I don't know. Is this like the biggest award? Yeah. I don't think. I don't think we. I don't, I, they're all. It's. I, I. I don't. You know. I don't select between my favorite children. So, and I'm also yeah. not going to. You know, act like any of the like they're all number one. In they're my all book. great. Yeah. I mean, if we were if we were going to structure this like an actual award ceremony, we probably should have put most annoying music story at the end. Yeah, I think that's like the best picture of the indie casties, but it's okay. I do like the uh, the idea that all these categories are equal. Uh, they all mean the same to us. Our final category is most twenty twenty one album of twenty twenty one. The albums are, or the nominees are yeah. Saint Vincent, Olivia Rodrigo. Uh-huh. Taylor Swift for the Red Redo, and Lil Nas X. Yes. What is your winner in this category? I mean, all, all, all of these are incredible uh, nominees. Like, this is a really difficult choice. But uh, if we're thinking about, like, not the best album of 21, 2021, but, like, the one that I think really sums up what it was like to engage with music... Um, I have to I have to have little Nas X in there. Um and I don't mean that as like a diss or even like praise for that matter. I just think that little Nas X as an artist uh represents kind of what I would consider like post quality in that <laughs> like uh, from the most part like it's at like I've heard the songs and you know they seem pretty good but like the the music itself like almost doesn't even matter and I think you could throw like Doja Cat in there as well like even though Doja Cat has like you know, huge radio hits in the same way Lil Nas X does. Um, the the fact that like this album exists was all that really needed to happen to me. Um, people, when when this album actually came out, like it was. I mean, you want to talk about like the comparisons that were happening with like Lana Del Rey? I mean, like this was like this is Little Richard meets David Bowie meets like Elvis Presley. Um, like you had to refer to Little Nas X strictly in terms of like the rock and roll hall of fame, like stuff you learn about in like elementary school type artists. And you could, I also don't think that Lil Nas X, like uh, you, ha- like, I don't think you'll hear his songs in the, in the supermarket. Like you don't, 
you could actually not engage with their music at all, but there's still a cultural force. Um, and so I think that this, this signifies the way, like, I mean, what is IndieCast, but like a, a, a podcast talking about music without talking about the actual music sometimes? Uh, yeah, I, I would say that like Lil Nas X really embodies that part of 2021 where it felt like I, I'm not even reviewing music anymore. I'm reviewing narrative. So my choice is, and one reason I, I picked this one, because I felt like we could not let the Indie Cassies go by without digging into this album. Yeah. It, it gave us so much this year. Yeah. Uh, so that's why it's my my most 21, my, my, my most 2021 album of 2021, and that is Daddy's Home by, by, by St. Vincent. <laughs> uh, and similar to what you were saying about... Uh, you know the discourse taking center stage. I mean, this was another example of of that happening. I, not by design. I don't think. I think, you know, there was a narrative with this record that, um, you know, Saint Vincent. She won. She made this concept record about her dad going to prison uh, and then coming out of prison, and I think she wanted to make this irreverent '70s Bowie funk type album with a naughty edge. And uh, it just got away from her a little bit and how people talked about it. And I think that's a very 2021 type thing to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm also intrigued by the idea, and we've talked about this in other episodes, about how you know, in the early part of the 2010s, there was this period where the big indie stars of the aughts, it seemed like they were pushed aside a bit for a new generation of artists to rise up. And I wonder if we're in a similar stage right now. Because if we're talking about, you know, memory hold albums or albums that didn't really stick the landing this year, you know, we have like the St. Vincent record, we have the the Lord record, we have the Lana Del Rey record. And this is not to say, I mean, their next records might be great. Yeah. And they may just be going on. But I do wonder if we're at a point where even if they do make good records after this, if their time at the center is passing and we're now going to see a new generation of stars emerge in the next few years. Yeah. Uh, And I feel like daddy's home to me. It feels like a little bit of a bellwether potentially in that regard as it's like a record that it, it, you know, similar to the Lord record, it just feels like it wasn't executed as well as it should have been. And it feels like it could mark a turn in a career. I would say that's just as true for like, yeah, like, like as in 2017 where, you know, LCD Sound System and The National and uh, Grizzly Bear and, uh, you know, Broken Social Scene put out records that basically put them in classic rock, you know. I wonder if that's the year that we saw with like St. Vincent and Lord and so forth where, you know, when we look back several years from now it seems more of like a pivot it's like wow yeah these this is this is like old head music now <laughs> right right yeah we're if you're gonna go see them live it's more about the catalog than whatever new album they're yeah. putting out yeah. like i wonder if babysitter in that core. zone <laughs> yeah and you know it, of course it's it's impossible to know at this point but you know I feel like there's historical precedence for this sort of thing happening. And, and this decade is going to have its own stars, mm-hmm. obviously. And, and some of them we're seeing, you know, maybe Olivia Rodrigo is going to be one of those decade-defining stars. 
or maybe a person who hasn't come out yet. You know, it might be a person who's coming out next year or yeah. in 2023. Uh, so that's very exciting to think about, and we'll see what happens. But we will be there to review it and to hash it out. Yes. In 2022 and hopefully beyond. But uh, for now, we're going to sign off. This is our last episode of the year. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm. Thank you for attending the Indie Casties. Uh, We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends in the new year. Yes. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie. And I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. 